Tonight I'd like you to turn to the book of Revelation, if you would. Now I can see all sorts of clinks and clunks in your mind wondering about the book of Revelation, but maybe it's not as deep as you think it will be. But we're turning tonight to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to take time to read a couple of portions, the first five verses, and then the last four verses of it as well, the last five verses as well. So we're turning to chapter 21 of Revelation, and we're going to verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So turning over, please, to verse 23. Verse 23. Because as he saw this great city coming down, and he says in verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall be a no wise, and there shall no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. May God bless to us that reading from his own precious word. I wonder tonight, friends, maybe you've turned regularly or perhaps you're listening in or watching in this evening and and you often wonder to yourself, why is it in this little church, Pastor Moore is always preaching that people need to get saved. They need to be born again. Well, let me try and explain to you why that is the case. First of all, he preaches that way because the Lord Jesus himself said, you must be born again. You see, being saved and being born again is an absolute imperative. There is no alternative way to heaven than being born again. Secondly, because we believe that death is inevitable, and I don't have to prove that to you. Every one of us knows from practice as well as from Scripture that death is inevitable. And because death is inevitable, it's inescapable. And it means that all ages alike, whether we're young, middle-aged, or old, We are all subject to death, and we have a responsibility, and Pastor Moore has a responsibility to exhort people to get saved, to seek the Lord while he may be found, and to call upon him while he is near. So there's two reasons why he preaches you need to get saved. Thirdly, the Bible, God's Word teaches us, and we know from experience that our natural condition, if we're honest, dear friends, in our natural condition, all of us is born with a tendency to live selfishly and to live sinlessly or sinfully. 
As a result of this tendency, we live our lives and are separated from God. And as we journey through life, we're getting further and further away from God. The Lord Jesus said that unsaved people in their natural condition are traveling down the broad road, the broad road which might seem right to them in their own minds, but they have their backs towards God on that broad road. And they're going to the place of destruction. They're not going to heaven. And every day they travel, every day they live with their back towards God, they're getting further away from God and they're getting closer and closer to the place of destruction. And elsewhere Jesus calls that place of destruction hell. And on another occasion he describes it as a place of torments day and night forever and ever. Friends, this is the destination where ordinary, upright, unsaved religious people will spend eternity if they don't get saved. So you can see the importance of Pastor Moore preaching that you must be born again. You need to get saved. Because it's not God's will, you see, that any should perish. Peter says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want you to miss heaven. That's not God's plan for you. He doesn't want you to miss heaven. He doesn't want you to go to that place called hell. And we read that he loves mankind so much that God doesn't take any delight in the death of a wicked or ungodly person. No, no, to God, the death of one of his saints, those who are saved, uh, my, uh, those who are saved is precious. But he knows that the wicked shall be cast into hell. Friends, you see how serious a matter we're dealing with. How serious it is for the pastor to preach faithfully that you must be born again if you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to avoid this place called hell. So when a person dies in their sin, without Jesus Christ as their Savior, instead of taking pleasure, I believe God takes pain. He has pain at that. And to impress this truth upon mankind, God invaded history. By sending Jesus, his only begotten Son, into the world. And to manifest the degree of his love for sinful man, God actually spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. He allowed his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die an ignominious death on the place called Calvary, on that old rugged cross that we sing about. And he was there, dear friends, Not for anything wrong that he did, because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was there as our substitute, your substitute and mine. And he was bearing the wrath of God that was our due. And it was there that he bore that wrath, and he satisfied a holy God, and was able to cry, finished, and salvation's mighty work was done. And even further, to authenticate that Jesus was truly God's Son, who came into the world to save sinners like you and me, God raised them from the dead on the third day. Friends, these are verifiable facts. And if you've got any wisdom or anything, any sense, you'll believe them and accept them because they're verifiable. He raised them the third day. And because Jesus Christ had victory over Satan and sin and death, God provided for all who would believe and receive Jesus He provided a way back to himself from the dark paths of sin. So you see the gospel message which Pastor Moore preaches. He preaches it constantly and continually in this church. Is that 
it's a message of good news. It's a message which tells us that none need perish, friends. None need perish. For whosoever believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish. But immediately we receive the gift of eternal life. And with God it gives the gift of eternal life. It's something which doesn't begin when you get to heaven. It begins immediately the instant you trust Christ. And ultimately you'll share that life with the Lord Jesus in heaven in the place he calls the Father's house. Friends, can I say tonight, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that you're not in God's family. You're not in God's family. You're not going to God's house. No, no, you're not in God's family. You're actually in danger of perishing in that place called hell, the place of torments that Jesus warned about. I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to perish and go there. And if you see, the folks in this church don't want you to perish. If you were in the prayer meeting, you would hear them praying for you that you wouldn't perish. So here are the reasons why Pastor Moore preaches passionately and continually that you must be born again. Because it's the only way that you're going to escape hell and you're going to get into heaven. I don't think that anyone could deny that we're living in a day, dear friends, when people feel insecure. They feel troubled about the political world. They feel troubled about the financial world and the social world and even more so now the natural world has become such an emphasis. Father God is not the main key today. It's Mother Earth that is the key feature today. People are living with hearts which are troubled. And it's interesting to remember that when Jesus spoke in John 14, he spoke concerning the answer to living with a heart that was troubled. And he did not say that you'd be better having a, a more wealthy society. A more healthy society, that's not what he recommended. Jesus said that the answer to a troubled heart is to be sure that you're going to heaven and to think about heaven often. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. Ye believe in me. What Jesus was in effect saying was that to enjoy living in the present, you must first of all eliminate any fear as to where you're going to spend eternity. Friend, if you knew, as you ought to know, that without Christ you're going to be in that place of torments, not for a a year, not for a hundred years, but for all eternity, for all eternity, My, the greatest fear that haunts every right-thinking person is the fear of death, the fear of judgment which follows death. And make no mistake about it, death is certain if the Lord doesn't come to the earth to take away his church. But when when a person trusts the Lord Jesus and gets saved, the fear of all future judgment is banished because as a Christian, there is no condemnation upon them who are in Christ Jesus. When a person gets saved, it's then they can enjoy life to the full. Because then they know that whatever circumstances may arise, whatever suffering they may have to endure, whatever hardship they may encounter in life, it all pales into insignificance when it's compared with the glory of the environment which Jesus is presently preparing in heaven. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, And he had his fair share of sufferings, you can be sure. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Being assured of going to heaven is not just pie in the sky when you die. But even the prospect of going to heaven, never mind the assurance that you're going to heaven, brings joy to your heart, brings peace to your soul. And it's happening in the here and now. Friend, I want to speak just for a little moment or two, not for very long, about heaven tonight. Pastor Moore will probably take several meetings and a series of meetings on the subject of heaven. But, but I, I, I want you to try and see a little bit about heaven and I want you to try and see something of the goodness of God and I trust it will lead to repentance. It is a fact. Everyone, whoever they might be, expects to be in heaven. That is a fact and can be easily proven. We have this man that has died. I, I don't remember names, but he's, his famous song was a bat out of hell or something of that. Uh, and one of these rock people who have lived a degenerate life all of their days. And their family will, I'm sure, as many other families have said on the television, well, of course, he's up there looking down at us. You know, it's interesting that they grasp the concept of up there, but they never grasp the concept of down there. They never grasp it. Because, you see, everybody wants to be in heaven. And that's no no doubt, dear friends. But what I want to say, dear friends, it's four simple things about heaven. First of all, what is heaven? What is heaven? As I've said earlier, the Bible makes it clear that at the end of life, every one of us will spend eternity in one of two places. We are either traveling through life with our backs towards God and we're going to hell, to a place of perdition and punishment, or we're traveling, we're traveling to heaven on the narrow way and we're going to the place of perfection and to the presence of God. It's an either-or situation. There's no sitting on the fence. It's either-or. And the teaching of Scripture is that hell is a place to be shunned at all costs and heaven is a place to be gained at all costs. Jesus himself said every one of us should strive to enter in the pathway that leads to heaven. Now, it didn't mean he didn't mean that we should work as hard as we can, that we should do our best, and we'll get there on our own merits. He doesn't mean that. He simply means don't let anything or anyone stand in your way. Don't let anything or anyone stand in your way. There's some people, you see, who would try to tell us that there's no such a place as heaven or no such a place as hell. Some of the ideas abroad would shock you. My, You see, they tell us that These are conditions. Heaven and hell are are conditions or attitudes in this life. And every one of us can make our life a heaven or we can make our life a hell upon earth. My, this opinion suggests to us that heaven and hell are not literal places. There was a preacher in the olden days who was confronted with this argument. And his reply was that that cannot be right. Because there are so many sinners around us and there's so much sin in society, and since there'll be no sin in heaven, then this life cannot, under any circumstances, be a heaven. That's true, friends. However, the critical matter is what had the Lord Jesus to say about heaven? Is it a place, or is it just a concept? Well, in John chapter 6, we find Jesus teaching some Jewish people about the manna. 
Remember he talked about the manna, uh, which the children of Israel ate in the wilderness. And in verse 33 he said, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And further down in verse 48, he identifies the one who he's speaking about. He says, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 51 he declares, I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. So the Lord Jesus Christ in these statements is saying that heaven is a literal place. It is in fact a place, the place that he left to come down into this world. We see it again in Acts chapter 1. After Jesus had risen from the grave, he was on the Mount of Olives, you remember, with his disciples. And here's what it says, And the cloud received him up out of their sight. And when they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Jesus in his resurrected body, which had flesh and bones, went back to the place called heaven. He went back to an actual place, dear friend. And in the passage that we've already made reference to in John 14, Jesus spoke to his disciples and referring to what he actually transpired in Acts 1, he said that he was going to his father's house and there he would prepare a place for them that they could go to that place as well. So here's Jesus, the son of God. He's in no doubt that heaven was not a mental condition. It was not a lifestyle situation. Jesus unequivocally declared that heaven was a literal place, the place from which he had come and the place to which he was returning. And his return to heaven is confirmed in Hebrews 9. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We were talking about that this morning, weren't we? He's gone and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty and high. It's a place, dear friends, heaven. So make no mistake about it. Heaven is a literal place. It's a prepared place. And it's prepared for a prepared people. Now the question is this, my friend. Are you one of those prepared people? How do we get prepared? Well, we've already seen that. Nobody can get to heaven without being saved. And you need to be saved if you're going to heaven, friends. You need to be saved if you're going to heaven. Heaven is a place. Now, where is heaven? That's another good question. Because the Bible doesn't give us an exact location for heaven. Uh, There's no set of coordinates that we can sit down and plot on a map. uh, And so that we can pinpoint heaven on a map. However, the Bible mentions heaven, first of all, that there are three heavens. There's the aerial heaven in which we see the birds flying about and which we can see with the naked eye. Then there's the stellar heaven and that's where the stars and the constellations and, the, and so on, they shine, you see them at night. But there's a celestial heaven which is referred to in scripture. It's referred to as the third heaven. It's God's house where Jesus sits at the right hand of his father. And when saved people die, they immediately enter into this third heaven. Paul makes it so very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I'm confident I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. 
And when I go to heaven, he said, I will be absent from this body and I'll be immediately present with the Lord. My friends, scripture is abundantly clear that heaven, wherever its specific location might be, it's up. It's upward, it is. We read in Acts 1.10 that when Jesus went back to heaven, the apostles looked steadfastly up because that's the way he went. He went up, didn't he? We read in the Old Testament that Elijah went up. Yes, he went up. And the apostle Paul was caught up into the third heavens. And I suppose the best definition, if you want a slick definition, about the location of heaven, it is where Jesus is. That's where heaven is, friends. It's where Jesus is. And as we've seen in Hebrews 9 and in John 14, whatever heaven's geographical location may be, heaven is where God is. And heaven is where the Lord Jesus Christ is. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, tis heaven. Tis heaven to know my sins forgiven. And and see what matters where. Where Jesus is, tis heaven there. But if you're not saved, friend, your sins are not forgiven and you're not going up. I can tell you that. You're going down. That's what the Bible teaches. So you see, it's vitally important that the pastor keeps preaching you must be born again. You must be born again, dear friends, if you're going to get to heaven. So what is heaven? It's a place. Where is heaven? It's up. What is heaven like? Well, to answer that question in detail is quite difficult in the time we have. And also our finite minds could not begin to grasp the grandeur and the glory of heaven. Because the Bible speaks about heaven in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's spoken of as the Father's house in which love is supreme. Sometimes it's spoken about as a temple where worship will be perfect. It's spoken in Revelation about a city where the citizens will live in harmony and serve the Lord. It's spoken of as a country of exquisite beauty and riches. But you know, perhaps because no language can adequately describe the bliss of heaven, the Bible mainly describes it in a negative term. And it tells us what will not be in heaven. Whatever the beauties might be and the glories that are far beyond our imagination, it tells us the negative, what will not be in heaven. For example, in that passage we read together, verse 27, there'll be no defilement in heaven. Oh, no defilement. There'll be no sin in any shape or form in heaven. Nothing which is unclean or unsavory. Heaven will be free from all the filth that's bombarding our minds in this world that we live. There'll be no vulgarity, no violence, and the horrors of the world in which we live and all its wickedness will be finished. In heaven, we'll be in constant companionship with all who are saved, but primarily, we'll be in constant companionship with the sinless, spotless Son of God. No, there'll be no defilement in heaven. And there'll be no death in heaven. We read that in verse 4. In verse 4 of our our chapter, it said, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. No more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There'll be no death in heaven, dear friends. This old world is ravaged with disease and suffering and famine. 
And death is all around us because of the curse which God imposed upon mankind when Adam turned his back upon God. But friends, when we get to heaven, the curse is gone. The curse is gone. All things are new, made anew. And God will restore things to the way he intended them to be way back in the Garden of Eden. There's no death nor disease in heaven because the curse will be gone. There's no discouragement or depression when we get to heaven. Just think about that. All tears are wiped away. No more sorrow, no more crying because sin will be absent. And there's no division in heaven. What a blessed thought to know that we'll never be separated from the ones we love who are already in glory and whose dear faces we soon shall see. But the main thing which made the disciples troubled in heart was the thought of being separated from the Lord Jesus. They were concerned because he was going to leave them. Ah, but that will not happen in heaven, you see. Jesus said in his Father's house, where I am, there ye will be also. And the Apostle Paul said that he should take comfort from the fact that when we go to be with Jesus, we shall be forever with the Lord. Think of it, friends. Think of it. To be able to lift up your eyes and look on his beautiful face at any time. To be reigning with him and serving him as his heavenly concert and bride. To be living in eternal peace and joy in an environment which God has prepared for us and where sin has never and can never enter. Heaven is truly a wonderful place. But the question is, will you be there? Will you be there, friend? Heaven is a wonderful place, but will you be there? Here's another question. Who will be in heaven? Now, I've been saying you had to be saved to get to heaven. Is that in the scriptures? Well, we read it tonight. Who will be in heaven? Well, first of all, the triune God with God the Father who planned our salvation will be there. God the Son who purchased our salvation will be there. God the Holy Spirit who pleaded with us to get saved, he'll be there. And there'll be an innumerable number of angels and archangels and seraphim, cherubim. They'll all be in heaven. But listen, sinners will be in heaven. You say, how can sinners be in heaven? Because sin separates us from God. Ah, but these are saved sinners, you say. Every man is born in sin, shaping in iniquity. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners, dear friends. But the difference is, has our sin been washed away? Has it been cleansed? Have we been under the blood? And the sinners will be in heaven. They'll be saved sinners. Ordinary people, just like you and me. And they have done nothing themselves except believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have been born again. They've been saved. And they're in heaven. My, there's people, these are people whose sins are washed away. They'll be in heaven. We know this to be so. Because in Revelation chapter 5, it tells us that there'll be singing in heaven. We were singing about singing in heaven this evening. And when we get to heaven, we'll be able to sing, but we'll sing a new song, you see, which the people will be singing It will be praise to the risen, glorified Jesus. Let me tell it to you. Thou art worthy, 
For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I don't think you'd be comfortable in heaven if you're not saved. Because you wouldn't be able to sing with the rest of us, you see. I wonder, are you sure that you're going to heaven? Are you really sure you're going to heaven? Could you honestly sing that song, the song of heaven, if you were to get there? My angels can't sing it. No angels, because angels were never saved and redeemed. But you and I, who are sinners, we have been saved and redeemed. Have you been saved? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? If you haven't been redeemed, my friend, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never been born again, then you're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. And we saw from our initial reading in Revelation 21, in verse 24, here's what it says. 21 and verse 24. It says, The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. They're the only people who'll be there, friends. The people who are saved. Now, I want to ask you, what's keeping you back from being saved? What is it that's keeping you back, dear friends, from being saved by God's grace? You don't have to climb a mountain in your bare feet. You don't have to whip yourself like the Muslims do when they go on their rajas to different places. No, no, you don't have to do that. You see, God's grace is a marvelous grace. It's amazing grace. And all you've got to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul one day was asked by a prison officer. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say you've got to stop doing this. You've got to start going there. And you've got to... He, didn't, you know, he said, you've just got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. And you'll be saved. Friend, that's how it is. And I would like to know what it is that's keeping you back from being saved. Because there's a following question that logically follows that, dear friends, and it's this. If you were to die tonight, would you be in heaven? Would you be in heaven? The Lord Jesus speaks of heaven as his father's house and it's only for his father's family. Does that include you? Because to as many as receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to them gives he the right to be called his family, his sons and his daughters. Does that include you? Oh, friends, if not, the gospel message this evening is this. To as many as receive him, to them gives he the right to be called the sons of God. You see, every one of us, you included and I included, we need to receive Jesus as our personal Savior, become part of God's family. And the Lord Jesus said himself in Matthew 18, except you be converted, you shall not enter heaven. Oh, you see, you need to be saved, friend. You need to be saved. You know, tragically, there's people today that would tell you that it's all, it's all just a matter of opinion. And you don't need to be saved. Well, that's your way of going, but we're going another way. That's not true. Not at all. There's only one way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. And John said in verse 27, the second part of it, he said, to get to heaven, your name must be written in the Lamb's book of life. I wonder, are you sure your name's there? 
you see, if it's not there, we read in verse 15 that whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Friends, this is serious. It's critical. And you know, the tragedy is this, that we don't know how long this old world's going to exist. The Russians are standing at the edge of Ukraine. Now, it may not happen, but there's a danger of nuclear war. If there's nuclear war, you can forget about the whole rest of us. It'll be gone. We don't know, but the Lord Jesus might come back from heaven tonight to the earth to take his church away. If you're not saved, you'll be left behind. And you'll be left behind to be a worshiper of the Antichrist rather than Jesus Christ. Dear friends, we need to be so sure because now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. There's a little fable told about the devil calling together three of his trainee evil angels. And he had set them a task and he said, I want you to come up with something we can tell people to stop them becoming Christians. And the first one says, well, my idea is to tell them that there's no heaven. Well, he said, that wouldn't succeed because they know that not to be true. And the other one says, well, the second one says, well, tell them, tell them that there's no place like hell. There's no hell and let them be deceived. Satan says, no, no. We can't tell them there's no heaven and there's no hell. And the third one come up and he says, I've got it. Tell them there's no hurry. Ah, Satan says, that's the one. You see, Jesus says now is the accepted time. The devil says it's no hurry. My friends, you, can't, you cannot depend upon the past. That's history. You cannot depend upon the future because you don't know that there's going to be a future. The only time that you have guaranteed is now. It's now. And now is the accepted time. And today is the day of salvation. Do you understand now why Pastor Moore preaches that you must be born again? It's not that it's a Baptist doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine. There's many preachers around the country from different denominations preaching it, but sadly there's many who are not preaching it. And when you come here, you'll hear it faithfully preached. Because, friends, we know that if you don't get saved, the consequences are absolutely abhorrent. You'll be in the place of torments day and night forever and ever. Now, I want to ask you, as an intelligent person, what have you to gain by rejecting and neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ? What have you to gain by going to hell, that place of torments, My friends, what more could God have done to show you that he doesn't want you to perish? To manifest to you this critical issue and to show you how sincere he was in wanting you to get to heaven than allowing his blessed son to leave the splendors of heaven, come down into this world of woe, to die on the cross of Calvary and to offer you a free gift because Christ paid the price when he hung there. I ask you, 
I ask you as an intelligent person, what more could God have done? And what are you going to gain by neglecting God's gift of eternal life? I close with this, friend. We, it's wonderful the things that come back to your mind when you get older. But when we were in Sunday school, I always remember this little chorus. Going astray. Going astray, what must I do to be lost? Just to continue in my own way. This I must do to be lost. Going astray, going astray, what must I do to be saved? Turn and believe. Christ Jesus receive. This I must do to be saved. Stand here tonight as a substitute for the pastor. But my message is exactly the same. Friend, whoever you are, God loves you. And you must be born again. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray that tonight your word has come clear, plain. I pray that there has been no complications in it so far as I have been concerned. But I ask, Lord, that you will remove anything of me, but their Holy Spirit might write the principles and precepts of your word indelibly upon people's minds. And grant, Father, that if there should be one in this meeting tonight or listening in, oh, Father, if there should be even one who's not yet saved, I pray that this evening that they might turn from their sin and seek the Lord while he may be found. Bless your word, Father, and watch over those who have been hearing it this evening and grant to us at the end of this service a real confirmation in the salvation of a soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.